Abner Mares is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook, with Abner Mares, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is. They chat about topics like Abner's journey from a kid on the streets to boxing champion, sports, music, culture, and family life. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Mares wherever you get your podcasts, episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. I said earlier that this is going to be the week of short intros, so I will hold true to that. The only thing I want to say before we before I actually introduce what this podcast is, is if you haven't listened to the show that we put out last night with John Moxley, John talking UFC 254, we were talking about some of the news going on and some of the upcoming fights. We even delved into a little bit of nicknames. John was very adamant that uh, Anthony Ivey had the worst nickname because he had a layup given to him from the nickname gods and just chose to ignore it. Uh, and we also talked about Drew Barrymore. I got to relive some of my Blockbuster video days, and I learned about John's uh, habits with Blockbuster video wrestling tapes. Uh, so uh, definitely check that out. I think it's a really fun show. We're going to attempt to get him back on after UFC 254. Uh, if everything goes well, he'll be on our uh, recap show. Um, so you'll, you can look forward to that. Cross your fingers. And then, uh, yeah, so, so this podcast that I'm about to uh, play here, it, it didn't even really start as a podcast. So the idea was that the Fight Game Podcast Facebook group was going to do a book club. We were going to pick a book a month, and then we're going to meet up, and we're going to have a conversation with it on Zoom. We're kind of going to hang out and have a good time. And so the first book that we chose was uh, Keith Greenberg's book, Too Sweet, uh, about the Indie Revolution. And, uh, you know, it's a book that none of us had, had read because it's brand new. And lo and behold, our buddy, Nick McMood, hooked up with Keith uh, the weekend of the GWC, or GCW, the collective show. And he told Keith about the idea. And Keith was like, oh, you know, I, I would like to join that if I can. So uh, I synced up with Keith uh, on Twitter, set it up. He was very gracious. He wanted to come on. He, he had an hour to hang out with us. I think he actually left a party uh, that he was at to, to do it. So, um, so yeah, so that's what you got here. Now, the Zoom audio is, is not the greatest for podcasts. There, there's a couple of things that I was able to do to kind of sweeten it up a little bit, but it's not going to sound normally how the shows that I do. Uh, I mean, you know, maybe if you're wearing your headphones, you'll be able to tell a little bit that it's not as as clean. But, you know, Zoom audio is is Zoom audio and we we did the best that we could. But, you know, really, it's about it's about the discussion of this book. So uh, Keith 
comes on. I do a little bit of an intro with him. I start asking him questions. We have questions from people in our Fight Game Podcast Facebook group who were a part of the book club who jumped on to talk to Keith. Uh, and they so they have questions and we go for about an hour and it was really a lot of fun. I'd never really moderated through Zoom before. And, and so it was it was a lot of fun. So um, if you want to do stuff like this, we're going to do more of these. I've already gotten the okay uh, from both Brian Alvarez and Dave Meltzer. They both have books out there, obviously, Death of WCW and Dave's new new uh, book based on the observers he wrote on 1997. And in the in the uh, in this next few weeks we're going to do something with brian and then about a month after that we're going to do something with dave similar thing where we jump on zoom and i'll record it and and uh and we'll we'll put it up and stuff so check it out i think it turned out pretty darn good it is our first attempt at doing something like this also i will put up the youtube video of the call uh on on our youtube page uh, very soon, uh, maybe, maybe about a week, probably about a week. So in, in a week, you'll see that I want, I want the podcast, you know, to get the listens first before we put it on YouTube. So, um, you know, if you want to be a part of it, check out the fight game podcast, Facebook group. It is pinned on Twitter. You can search for us in Facebook as well. Uh, come on in and, and hang out and, and be a part of stuff like this. Uh, and also fight game, uh, the, the YouTube channel is, uh, at, uh, I think we are Fight Game Media on YouTube. So definitely check that out if you want to see the video version of the show. Okay, enough with the intro. Let's go to the book club conversation, the moderated chat with one Keith Greenberg. All right, this is our very first Fight Game Podcast book club Zoom meeting. And very thankful that the author of the book that we decided to read for the month of uh, of September is joining us on the chat. Keith Greenberg, thanks a lot for coming on. Hey, man. It's good to see you. All right. So uh, just, you know, just for people who are listening who don't know uh, uh, what we're doing is we have, a, we have a Facebook group, Fight Game Podcast Facebook group. And we just decided, you know, we are, we're all reading wrestling books all the time. And we just decided to kind of do a, a weekly version and and try to um, try to have a discussion about it at the end of the month. And Nick McMood, who was in this chat, he texted me and he said, "Hey, I met Keith at the uh, GCW the Collective show, and he's interested in coming on." And I was like, "Fantastic! Like this is awesome!" So really appreciate you doing this. And uh, I kind of want to introduce you a little bit, but and then we'll talk about your career. And then I'm just going to open it up to folks who are in this chat so they can ask questions. But I know your work from some previous wrestling books that I've read. Uh, I, I believe you uh, were either author or co-author on the Ric Flair book, the yes. uh, Superstar Billy Graham book. Oh, look at that. He's holding it up. Yeah. Exactly. And and there's this like unpublished Iron Sheik book that I know people have been talking about. I'm going to ask you a separate question about that. But like, you know, just the you've been involved in the wrestling business from a writing standpoint for all these years. Like what how did you get connected in that way? Well, it was one of the few things I knew about. I started out as a professional writer when I was 19 years old. And, you know, at 19 years old, you know, you're, you're uh, fighting against people who have a wealth of experience. But I knew more about wrestling than other people. And this was before the Hulk Hogan era. So 
not many people who were actual writers, you know, who were respected, um, you know, had the same background and the same knowledge of professional wrestling. And that's how I kind of weaseled my way in there. Interesting. So out of all the wrestling books that you've written or been a part of, is there any certain one that you kind of hold nearest and dearest to your heart? And, and what would be the reason? Uh, well, I should say the current one. <laughs> and, and, um, and in many ways, that's true. Because this isn't a co-authorship. It's my own book. It's a book I felt. And also, uh, there's a personal tie there. I had been on retainer for the WWE magazine until 2007. And then after I lost that retainer, even though I maintained a relationship with WWE, I wasn't, I didn't feel an integral part of the wrestling business. And when I decided to do this book about indie wrestling, I began to travel around and meet promoters and meet wrestlers and meet new people. And I almost felt it was a rebirth for me because now I wasn't the nostalgia act from a guy who wrote 25 years ago for wrestling magazines that wrestlers remembered from when they were kids, but I had something new to offer. And, um, you know, it's a snapshot of the indie wrestling scene leading up to the creation of AEW. So as of now, that's the most personal book for me. There is something on your Wikipedia page that I had to ask you about, which is a book about Menudo, the yes. pop group. That was in 1983 before any of you were born. No, and I, you was, know I was very, I'm very aware of Menudo, by the way. But you know what? <laughs> Again, I started out very young as a professional writer and I, I had to take what was in front of me. And I was living on a block. There were a lot of Hispanic teenagers on the block. And they were Menudo fans. And I started pitching a book about Menudo. Now, I also had done several articles about them because from watching wrestling uh, from Los Angeles, from the Olympic Auditorium, I largely learned how to speak Spanish. And I'd watch wrestling and then I'd watch the news in Spanish. I watched variety shows in Spanish. And so when Menudo came out, I was aware of Menudo because I was still watching Spanish TV and all these teens were talking about Menudo and I pitched a, a Menudo story to two magazines, Us Weekly and a Teen Beast. And they both said yes. And so now in addition to writing about wrestling, I was a Menudo writer. And so I started peddling this book on Menudo and Simon and Schuster said yes. And I remember it took me about, three weeks to write the book. And I think my advance was 12,000 bucks. I'm like 12,000 bucks for three weeks of work. <laughs> I'm going to fucking write one of these like every month. Lo and behold, there weren't as many opportunities like that. Right. Right. So you're, you're writing about a very peak pop culture, pop music group. That is a cultural sort of phenomenon. And then a year later, Vince McMahon decides to take the WWE national. Right. A year later, there's the rock and wrestling. Connection. Right. And that connection with WWE, MTV. So, like, it's kind of an interesting thing that you. And, and, here, and, and I'm a young guy. I'm a very young guy at the time. So at that point, I'm considered a visionary because 
I knew about menudo and I knew about wrestling. And they said, what's the next thing? I remember someone asked, what's the next thing? And I had a roller derby was trying to make a comeback. I said, roller derby. And they're like, we're <laughs> going to write that down. But roller derby never really came back. Yeah, you should have said, there's something called the internet that'll be here in about 10 Yeah, years. they'll be here any, any year. <laughs> so... Um, about the uh, about the, the the previous wrestling books that you were, I mean, you're talking about Ric Flair, gigantic personality, a big superstar, superstar Billy Graham, who is, you know, in in a almost in a forgotten decade in a sense uh, for today's kind of wrestling fan. But I, I mean, I, I remember reading the superstar Billy Graham book, and then WWE had put out a DVD about him. Not, I don't know if it was at the same. No, time. it was in, it, it was concurrent with the book. And. I just watched him and I had seen some stuff, but I'd seen a lot of the older Billy Graham stuff. So reading about him, I remember him talking about, because uh, he was very honest in the, in the book saying- Yeah, extremely. About, and he's talking about taking steroids and his body is stretching as he's sleeping, like just very visual stuff. I like that is one of my favorite underrated wrestling books because I don't feel like, like I feel like this audience and, and it didn't come out you know, just recently, but this no, current came audience, out in 2007, yeah. this current audience, it feels like they are not as interested in reading about that yeah, it, era it, or anything shame. before. And I, I've, spo I, I've spoken about this in interviews before. Um, Margaret Clark, who was my editor at Simon and Schuster, who became a very educated wrestling fan said it was almost like there was the post Hulk, Hulk Hogan era and the pre Hulk Hogan era. And the pre-Hulk Hogan era couldn't sell. It was like no one thought wrestling fans could even read until Mick Foley took his book and, you know, went on the road with it. But to, to fans, it was like wrestling didn't exist until Hulk Hogan won the championship. And it's a shame because, as we all know, there was, there's a lot of richness to the pre-Hulk Hogan era. Okay, so let's fast forward to your new book, and we're getting questions ready, so people. I see uh, this, and there's some good ones too. People are getting those ready, and I'll, I'll allow them. Are all you know they can unmute and they can ask them directly to you, so okay. it comes out of their voice. Good. But I do have one question about the book, and I may follow up with others as we get through. But mm. so, how do you sell a book to the publisher on? independent wrestling this is not any this is not something about current wwe it's not anything about the attitude era of wwe right you know there's this sort of burgeoning uh young company coming up that you don't even really know about before. right you no don't one know about that about before yeah. but so how do you sell that as like this is my idea and was it easy to get them to sign off and say yep like this is a good idea i was very fortunate um uh, the the uh, executive editor happens to be a wrestling fan, Michael Holmes. And so he watches wrestling just like we do. And he listens to podcasts. And so he and I both happen to be in New Orleans the weekend of WrestleMania 34. And I saw all these Bullet Club shirts. I said, wow, you know, WWE is holding the party. But all these outsiders are coming in, bum rushing the party. And he had the same observation when we both got home. And I said, there's a real phenomena going on. He goes, I agree with you. I go, it's time to do an indie wrestling book. Now, initially, by the time I signed the contract, we thought the book would begin and end with all in. 
we didn't know that there'd be anything subsequently. Lo and behold, AEW started, and that was a very pleasant surprise uh, to uh, round out this book with. All right, going to take a quick break to talk about Indeed.com. I was digging around the Indeed website, and I came across what looks like a really cool resource uh, called the Career Guide. And obviously, we are in a, in a pandemic, so it's not like we can actually go to, to job interviews and, and you know meet people face-to-face. We're doing a lot of this through Zoom. We're doing a lot of it through Google Hangouts. And really, you know, there, there's an there, there's uh, advice here that basically says, you know, how to succeed at, at a virtual hiring event. If you're a company that is having to do a lot of this and, it, and it's been a little bit of a struggle, check out this career advice page, 20 COVID-related questions to ask employers. So if you're on the other end and you're looking for a job, check out Indeed's career advice page. It's uh, the, the link is on the front page. I just thought that was a really cool idea because, you know, we are in a, a situation like no other, uh, you know, in, in today's hiring world, uh, you know, companies are dealing with everything else that, you know, that us as humans are dealing with. You still got to hire people. You still got to find positions. You still got to replace people. You still got to, you know, work. You, you still got to grow all those things. So, just uh, I wanted to point that out because I thought that was really cool and also talk about our deal with Indeed. So right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and they'll see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer is valid through the end of the year, so you have until December 31st, and terms and conditions apply. Let's get back to the chat with Keith Greenberg. All right, I think we're going to get Josiah on first. So he has uh, a couple of questions, and I know he has to... uh, has to get going in a second. Josiah, go ahead. Josiah, go ahead and unmute. And uh, yeah, go ahead and ask your question, man. Yeah, so my first question would be about this revolution in indie wrestling. Uh, Do you think it's sustainable in the long run or will we see it uh, cycle down in popularity then cycle back up to, like, is it a cycle or uh, is it something that will be happening for the long run? Uh, It's quite a question. Um, I do think that with the emergence of NXT and now AEW, uh, there's this understanding that the future talent comes from the indies, that sure you'll have people who are members of the uh, wild Samoan family of wrestling or Ric Flair's daughter, who perhaps go immediately into, um, into the performance center. But, you know, look at the stars now. You know, look at Bailey, look at Sasha Banks, look at Kevin Owens, look at uh, Sami Zayn. They all came from the Indies. So I think there's a realization that the future superstars of whatever promotion, even if they remain on the Indies, will come from there. Um, At the same time, the definition of Indie is constantly in flux. A lot of people say AEW isn't an Indie. When I wrote the book, the COO of Ring of Honor said, we're not an Indie. They were part, there's part of the Sinclair Corporation, um, you know, is New Japan an indie? 
Um, when I wrote the book, I defined indie as anything other than WWE. If we're going to use that definition, I do think there will always be interest in the indies. Perhaps it will uh, surge and perhaps it will wane, but it will always be there. Do you have anything else, Josiah? Uh, I also had a question along that line is, will we ever see wrestling uh, have its the explosive popularity like it did in the 80s and 90s again? Or is it simply going to be a niche product going forward? Uh, which is also a great question. Um, wrestling is cyclical. When I first started writing about wrestling, uh, you know, say in the early 80s, that's what I was told by people who were around in the 50s. And that's proven to be true. So there was a gorgeous George era and maybe a Buddy Rogers era. And uh, if you were on the Northeast, a Bruno Sammartino era. If you were Canadian, like I sense you are, a Whipper Billy Watson era. Um, if you were in Montreal, a Rougeau brothers, a senior Rougeau brothers era. And I think there will always be eras of wrestling, but in between there will be drafts. But for some reason, there's something about the human psyche that certain people like ourselves always come back to wrestling. All right. So, Nick, uh, get ready. I'm going to ask uh, Keith one question, then we'll get to you, Nick. So as you're writing this book, you didn't as you're writing it, you don't know that we're about to be in a pandemic, which definitely no. affects independent wrestling. Do you think being in a pandemic affected the book in any way or the book well, industry? No, like the, the book was finished. The book was completed. In fact, speaking out became a bigger issue. Uh, we couldn't change the book, but there was some uh, spirited discussion about whether we kept all the photos. I argued to keep the photos because I said, for example, to leave Joey Ryan out of the history would be like leaving Pegasus Kid out of a New Japan history. Uh, however, by the time I wrote the epilogue, we were in the pandemic and WrestleMania had taken place. And so I said, this chapter is closed. How about I do another book? And my next book will be on professional wrestling in the time of COVID-19. And it's turning out to be a pretty interesting book because unlike in the past, Wrestling is not total escapism because the president of the United States has had COVID. Boris Johnson, the prime minister of England has had COVID. Um, the prime minister of Canada's wife has had COVID. Um, the Rock has had COVID. Right. So we can't really ignore what's going on outside our bubble and just completely focus on wrestling. So, I am going to weave in real world events along with significant wrestling events. All right. So uh, I, I want to come back to the speaking out thing in a second, but I wanted to, to let Nick jump on. Uh, Nick, go ahead and uh, ask your question. Hey, Keith. It's good to see you again. It's great to see you again, too. Uh, first off, my buddy Bird, thank you for the acknowledgement in the book. Oh, my pleasure. He's, he was really helpful. Yeah, he's, he's a good dude. Uh, I have um, first first question is uh, after the collective. What was your some give give me some of your favorite moments from those uh, uh, events that you were able to see? 
Um, you know, Effie's gig, uh, big gay brunch was pretty great. And um, that moment where Sonny Kiss and Cassandro tangled. Mm-hmm. So you have the LGBTQ icon from the distant past and the current LBG, LGBTQ icon who is now accepted by wrestling society at large, mixing it up. And I decided I was going to put that in my next book. And I spoke to Sonny Kiss afterwards. And I said, um, how'd you feel about putting him over? And he was like, basically, it was my joy to put him over. Why shouldn't it have been? I mean, this is the guy who blazed the trail for me. And that, that was that was pretty cool. And, um, you know, th- th- there were a lot of really cool things there. And, you know, I got to know uh, Paro, Michael Paro, who's this like LBG, LGBTQ version of the modern road warriors, just destroying like talent after talent. And he said to me afterwards, well, that was the point, but each guy got offense on me. So it was our chance to highlight all of these wrestlers, much of whom were members of our community. So that was pretty great. And of course I love blood sport. I'm sure you saw us. And you know, there was something about uh, John Moxley coming out there as the AEW champion and wrestling Chris Dickinson, this indie grace, and selling for him, you know, giving him offense. I mean, that's not something we would have seen until the indie wrestling revolution. And, you know, that's what my book is all about. Yeah, that, that's definitely great. Uh, my, my other question goes back to your former uh, WWF magazine writer, Louis Gianfrido. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to hear the story of how he got picked to, to take the exhibition of Bob Backlund's Chicken Wing on Superstar. Well, well Louis, <laughs> Louis was a really extreme guy. And um, Louis was always up for anything. In fact, few people know he also was the rat in Bad News Brown's cage. He brought out a, a rat cage once with a curtain over it. And Louis, who was very muscular, but not very tall, crammed himself into the cage and just rocked back and forth. So for a while, he enjoyed a backstage moniker as Louis the Rat, but he was very popular with the guys backstage. And, um, everybody kind of knew that Louie could pull it off. And Bob Backlund and Louie knew each other. They both lived in Connecticut. And uh, I think, it, I mean, people are still talking about it. All right, Nick, uh, thanks for those questions. David, get ready. I will tee you up in a second. But I want to go back to the, to the speaking out movement that Keith had mentioned uh, for the last question. You mentioned Joey Ryan. There's other folks, David Starr, who, who's quoted. And all of a sudden, right before, did, did this, this happen before, right before the book this came out? This is right before we published. Now. It was too late to, ch- like everything was set in print. Right. We, we could have changed some of the pictures. And um, I argued against it because I felt all of these people were part of the revolution. And for that matter, Nothing has been adjudicated in court. I am not questioning the uh, veracity of some of these allegations. I, 
you know, but I don't know. I don't know all the details. And I said, all these people have played a role in this. Let's leave it in. If people criticize it, it's something to address in the next book. Right. And, and, and his, history is history, no matter. History is history. The- I mean, now, you know, statues of Thomas Jefferson are being uh, torn down. Maybe they should be, but it's something for us to discuss. And as a wrestling community, let's discuss speaking out. And that's, that's it. You know, I, when I was at the collective, uh, Shimmer put on a show and that's a women's promotion. And I made a big effort to speak to a number of those performers and hear their version of speaking out because that's an important thing to include whether you believe every allegation or not, women are a big part of the industry now. Women are not just there to titillate. Women are there to perform their athletes, their main eventing. And I think that's universal, regardless of the promotion. And um, it's important that they feel safe and they feel validated and let, let, let's get their perspective. And so... I guess the question is, is what has the feedback been like for uh, positively or negatively about, about including like those Joey guys? Ryan's picture? Right. Uh, some people have said I could have done without it. And, uh, you know, some people have said it's creepy to see those guys in there. And then there's certain people where the jury is. Look, the jury's out on everybody until we know the, the answer. I mean, I know that Joey Ryan has followed some lawsuits about people. Uh, David Starr, we haven't heard from in a while. But, you know, there's other folks who are right kind of on the border there. They're not being accused of molesting anybody, but they're still accused of saying inappropriate things and taking liberties. So um, some folks have issues with it. Some folks are lumping everyone together. And, you know, when I write this book, I'm not going to be able to determine what did or did not happen. It's more, you know, presenting all the sides and taking a snapshot of a discussion that needed to come up, whether we believe every story or not. All right, David, uh, go ahead and unmute and uh, you can ask uh, your first question. Hey, Keith. Hey, David. Uh, I love the book. Really enjoyed it. The first question I want to ask you is... uh, do you think this book would exist? Would you be able to write this book if WCW and ECW didn't get out of business in 2001? Uh, probably not, because I think the indies at that point would have been um, whoever was released from ECW and, and WWE and, and WCW. You know, you wouldn't have had probably the emergence of indie stars like we have now. Uh, because they would have been picked up by one of those three promotions. But that's not what happened. Vince McMahon uh, took over the industry, at least in North America. And so, you know, we had the Kevin Steens and the Brian Danielsons and the El Henericos. And, you know, those people became indie superstars. And hence, you know, the, the world saw them. Some of these people were picked up by NXT or now AEW and people got to showcase their skills in, um, in, in uh, PWG. And, you know, I don't know if PWG would have taken off the way it would have, but it did. It did. It's like 
well, if Hillary was elected instead of Donald Trump, what would America be like today? We don't really know. David, did you have a follow-up? Well, kind of a follow-up to that is, do you think all in would have happened about the Dave Meltzer tweet? Was that a sort of catalyst for that happening? You know, that, that, that's a great question, and maybe not. I mean, is that, you know, you'd have to ask Cody that, but is that what Cody need to really push him that much harder? I mean, certainly uh, all in would not have happened without Cody Rhodes. And that's not to diminish the Young Bucks or Kenny Omega or any of the other stars, but it was Cody who felt he had something to prove. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's a conversation Dave Meltzer and Cody should have personally, but uh, Dave Meltzer deserves to applaud himself because, you know, as much as I would hear grumbling about Dave Meltzer when I was writing for WWE, he's <laughs> had quite an impact on the industry. Uh, all right, so let's. Uh, well, I think Jeremy is going to come up next, who's helping us with the, with the moderated chat. Jeremy, stand by. So Keith, when we saw um, the the AW the All In shows, Double or Nothing, there was also something attached to that called Starcast. Conrad mm-hmm. Thompson's convention in conjunction with those guys. Uh, what do you think about, and, and also this is sort of about WrestleMania weekend too, but just the, you know, using one show to make it about the industry, like the WrestleMania shows where you get all the indie groups and it's just, you're taking advantage of a lot of wrestling fans coming together. Like, I don't like, like where did that come from? Because I'm sure you know, it's an I idea. Mean, it's a great question. Like my, Mike Johnson from a, uh, PW Insider, who, you know, is one of my favorite human beings, aside from, you know, being a really good wrestling reporter. He calls it the barnacles on the boat. (laughs) All the indies that put on shows uh, during WrestleMania weekend. Um, You know, uh, I guess that's part of the culture now. I'm sure WWE never planned for that. Uh, You know, back when WrestleMania started, I'm sure Vince McMahon never imagined uh, Tommy D, who was running shows in Brooklyn and once paid uh, little Guido in coins for a match, ever putting on a show that would draw fans to that the same weekend. But, you know, these aren't Tommy D shows anymore. You know, these are Ring of Honor shows. Ring of Honor was going to have a great show this WrestleMania weekend. And the collective is... But, you know, what would have happened WrestleMania weekend had GCW been able to stage a show? And, you know, Conrad Thompson, who in addition to being a, a, a very astute business person, also happens to be married to Ric Flair's daughter, he understands wrestling fans and he mm-hmm. understands the wrestling mentality and he's a fan. And so this is the way it is. If you're going to be a major promotion and put on a major show, this is going to happen. And you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if in years to come, there are going to be indies who don't get on the collective who put on rival shows in in the same vicinity. And in the end, it's good for wrestling. All right, Jeremy, go ahead and unmute and uh, ask your question. Uh, Keith, uh, thank you for taking the time out. Uh, I'm glad to meet you. Time with us today. 
I had a hypothetical for you. You have to write two books. That's your contract. One about uh, someone in all your travels that you you admire or you want to write about for whatever reason. Who would that be? And then conversely, and you don't have to answer either one of these questions if you don't want to. Who's the one topic or person that after all these years, you're like, I want no part of writing about that person? Uh, well... I'll, I'll answer the second one first. Uh, I, I would not have enjoyed writing about the death of Chris Benoit's family. Uh, I knew Chris Benoit, not well, not intimately, but we spoke and I was a fan of Chris Benoit as a wrestler. And I can remember having a fan with his, uh, a fan, a conversation with his wife and I think it was at one, it may have been at one of the Hall of Fames, but she, she and I had this very intense, very personal discussion, wrestling fan to wrestling fan, about the difference between a mark and a fan. And she thought of a mark as a fanatic that undermined the business and a fan as just someone who appreciated the business. And so... The notion of her losing her life and her child losing his life and Chris Benoit taking his own life and hurting so many people in the process, it was a little too personal for me to want to write about. Now, I've been a true crime reporter. I can write about this kind of tragedy among people I, I don't previously know. Um, what would be something I would want to write about? I've said this before in interviews. I'm not from the UK. I'm, I'm very intrigued with the world of sport era and what that culture was like. But there's a great book by a guy named Simon Garfield called The Wrestling. I guess in England they'd say, hey, I'm going to watch The Wrestling tonight. And he did a pretty good overview of some of, those ta of, some of that talent. I'm not sure I'd be able to outdo that, particularly because... Much of that talent has passed away since he wrote the book. All right, last break here to talk about Bet Online. I mentioned in the last show, in the last ad that I did about the UFC stuff, but also, you know, there is the beginning of the World Series. By the time you listen to this, will be more than likely game two between the Dodgers and the Rays. And always, of course, football, college football, and then the UFC show this weekend. So there's so many opportunities to uh, jump in and get in on Blue uh, Bet Online's season opening bonuses and start off wagering, not only on the games or the fights or the matches, but also you can wager on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. So head to Bet Online today. Take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses, and don't forget to use the promo code BlueWire when you go to BetOnline.ag. That is BlueWire, all in one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Uh, Brady, get ready to uh, ask your question, Keith. How much are you following the? AEW versus NXT Wednesday Night Wars. I'm following it very intricately because of my next book, which is about professional wrestling in the year 2020. I, uh, I find myself copying articles. I find myself, when I'm interviewing talent, 
talking about their opinions on it. Um, I am an NXT fan. I've been to, you know, a bunch of takeovers in both uh, in New Orleans as well as in, um, in, in, in Brooklyn. And I've been to one AEW show. I did a, a, a feature on Nyla Rose for uh, the Daily Beast in a few months back, and I went to an AEW show. So I'm following it. I'm intrigued by it. It's exciting. Competition is always good, in my opinion, in the world of wrestling. Um, am I rooting for one side over another? I want AEW to stay in business because I feel it makes WWE better. I'm really enjoying the AEW shows. And as of yet, I haven't seen WWE steal a major talent from AEW. It's and coming, right? It's, it's, gonna, it's gonna be coming. I mean, look, Shug D, who is Pineapple Peace, has been doing some work, uh, you know, uh, as enhancement talent for WWE. But we've yet to see, you know, let's say a Sammy Guevara sure. jump. Sure. Uh, you know, when that happens, that's going to be something to talk about. Absolutely. Uh, okay, Brady, you're up, man. Hey, Mr. Keith, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I had a question about your thoughts on the present and future of the indie wrestling scene that is so focused on comedy, deathmatch, and intergender. Well, I mean, it's not just one or the other. You know, this is the beauty. You know, I I took my 16-year-old daughter to the collective last week. And I was explaining to her, you know, she's a WWE, well, not anymore. Now she's in high school and she has other interests, but she grew up as a WWE fan. And I said, you know, this is a showcase. There's Shimmer, a women's wrestling show, women only, you know, badass athletic women. And there's Joey Janela's Spring Break, which is a combination of everything. And there's the clusterfuck battle royal which is a comedy and there you know we saw a great death match uh and and now i'm trying to remember the promotion uh aiw we saw a fantastic death match and uh, and we saw blood sport so wrestling is all of that stuff and if death matches aren't your thing that's fine but it's all part part of the package And I think there's a lot of future for all of that. Look, Japan, which is very fetishistic in its tastes, there are fans that only watch deathmatch wrestling. Mm -hmm. You know, I guess there are fans who only watch strong style. I assume there are fans who prefer comedy matches. The beauty of it is that it's wrestling. And if it's getting people into professional wrestling and not having them move on to video games, MMA, that's good for everybody. All right, Randy, get on deck. Get ready. Uh, you, you t- we're talking about GCW. Joy Janelle is a big part of the book. He's a big part of the history of this. You watch him on AEW, and this is my personal opinion, I'm not speaking for anybody else. While I understand his popularity, I understand his appeal, I don't feel like he fits the AEW product as well as maybe they are hoping 
that he would fit to bring over some of that really large fan base that he does have. How do you think he's done in AEW so far? Well, I mean, look, he was just in that match. Him and Sonny Kiss were just in that match. Was it uh, Jake Hager and Chris Jericho and, and Joey Janela and Sonny Kiss? So it's not like he's not getting the, the visibility. Um, but, you know, my friend who I mentioned in the book once, uh, Patrick John Joseph, who's a real Jersey guy, you know, he's like, oh, man, it's a bummer. Like, when I see Joey Janela live in Jersey at an indie show, he's the su- superstar. And when I'm watching him on TV, I have to tell my friends that. And, you know, I'm working on another book. I did talk to Joey Janela a bit about that. Joey Janela is very excited about his partnership with Sonny Kiss. Um, one of the things that I'll mention in the next book, and I've also spoke to Sonny Kiss about this, is that those guys are friends in real life. And Joey Janela said the world or the wrestling world has progressed to the point where just because Sonny Kiss is openly gay, Sonny Kiss doesn't have to have a crush on him for that to be a partnership. Mm -hmm. They can just be buddies. They can just watch each other's back. And that's a good thing for, you know, society and for wrestling. Um, I've seen Joey Janela on indie shows during the pandemic. On indie shows, he is so over. I think there is something about watching Joey Janela live And I think I'm hoping um, as AEW tours again after this pandemic, people will share that experience and they'll understand what Joey Janela means to a live crowd. All right, Randy, go ahead and unmute and you can ask your question. Hey, Keith, thanks for uh, coming on with us. And I I really enjoyed your book and got a lot of new information uh, from that book. I'm an old WCW fan, and back in the day, I really liked when WCW would recognize other promotions and bring in guys like um, that I wouldn't normally see, like Ultimo Dragon and um, Great Muda and Jushin Thunder Liger. And our, one of my remember, uh, memories was Ultimo Dragon coming in with his eight belts, you know, on him from all the other promotions he yeah. had championships from. I love the fact that AEW is kind of doing the same thing, where they're recognizing other promotions, bringing in people like uh, Thunder Rosa. And I'm wondering, now that New Japan has new leadership, do you think that there's going to be any kind of a working relationship? I know Tony Khan really wants a working relationship. I've heard with them. I mean, look, I I, I haven't spoken to Tony Khan about it. I Uh did interview interview Harold Mage for the first book. Right. Uh, We can only hope. And we can also hope that Ring of Honor maintains their relationship with New Japan. I mean, you know, there's a lot of great talent in Ring of Honor. But sure, I mean, obviously we want to see Nick Aldis defend the championship in AEW and in Ring of Honor. Uh, You know, I remember those days. I can remember my grandparents at a certain point moved to uh, Miami and I'd go to Miami Beach Convention Center and when Jack Briscoe or Harley Race would come in with the championship, that was a big deal. And when they weren't there with the championship, we had the Southern Heavyweight Championship and the Florida Championship on the line. So sure, I think it's great to acknowledge the other wrestling promotions. You know, it's transparency. Like, you know, let's 
not live in a bubble. Let's acknowledge that all this stuff exists. We all know it as wrestling fans. I mean, we're not being kayfabed. It's not back in the old days where we're being kept in the dark. Let's give us what we want. Cool. Thank you. My pleasure, Randy. I think we got just under 20 minutes left with Keith. Uh, And you know what? I'm moving my computer as we speak because it just said my internet connection was unstable. So I am going to plug it in in case I'm running out of electricity. Okay, good. So I'll, I'll, I'll use this time to shout out anybody else who wants to ask a question. Uh, JD, Steve, if you guys have questions, just type in the chat uh, what you want, and Jeremy can get you uh, help me get you teed up, and, and we'll get your question out to Keith. So uh, I think uh, Jeremy's going to be next, but I, I did have a question. Um, I wanted to go back to this Iron Sheik story because I know you get asked about this all the time. But my question is, we all know the Iron Sheik story. There was a a time in the mid-2000s where he was kind of going nuts and and in in the news for lots of different things and shouting out stuff that he shouldn't have been shouting out. And, And so when you get asked to write this book, like, do they not know... That, like this story is going on or did they expect you to write like a really, I, I think, I think WWE went through a philosophy change in the course of me writing the first version of the book. Now I realized I wrote superstar Billy Graham's book, as we mentioned earlier, and he talks about steroids and I wrote Freddie Blassie's book and he talks about all his sexual escapades and cheating on his wife. And, um, you know, Ric Flair talks about the Von Erich brothers being impaired by drugs when, when, uh, and Fritz looking the other way. And Rick Those got in trouble like, for his book, right? Like, didn't his, yeah, his wife lot, at the time was. Yeah, he got a lot of heat for his book. But WWE was encouraging this. Vince McMahon was encouraging this honesty. And I, I started writing the Iron Sheik book in 2008, the first version. And I know that because. He and I watched the Democratic Convention together while we were working on the book. And the Iron Sheik said, is Obama the president now? I go, no, he has to, you know, he has to go against, you know, John McCain. Mm-hmm. Or, or he has to go against the Republican nominee. Um, I think by the time the book was completed, the company had redefined itself as PG. Do you think that and- had to do with the, the Benoit thing? I think it had an impact, yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, the Benoit thing, and there were a lot of allegations about steroid abuse as well as CTE, which was reflecting badly on the industry. And so I was commissioned to write the book, and then suddenly I, you know, I'm writing the book in isolation. At that point, I'm no longer a retainer for WWE, so I'm pounding out a good book. You know, and now um, I finish the book and there's like this pause, you know, it's like, well, I don't know. Is this really a book we want to be putting out? And at that point, the Iron Sheik still had a drug problem. Mm -hmm. So I remember speaking to a lawyer for WWE and he said, is there any way to sanitize this? I said, well, then it's not going to be the Iron Sheik's book. And uh, so they paid me. They paid me what they owed me. 
They had paid me in advance and they paid the sheik. And we were both disappointed. And we, we knew each, we were already friends before the book started. And I know the Iron Sheik differently than the character you saw on TV. Um, I knew him as a guy who was a very serious athlete who didn't lose his virginity till he went to the 1972 Olympics as an assistant coach for the American Olympic team. Um, you know, I, I, and I knew his, I knew his kids. One of his daughters was murdered. I knew the way he suffered. I knew about the brotherly relationship between him and Nikolai Volkov. And I was disappointed that we wouldn't see the Iron Sheik in that light. And then I wrote a story about the Iron Sheik after he kicked drugs for Playboy magazine. And now I hear WWE wants another Iron Sheik book with him kicking drugs. So I get paid again. I rewrite the book. Sheik and I get together again. We're all happy. And then somebody high up in the company says, it's not good for our brand. All of these crazy stories just don't benefit our business. And that's it. It's a bummer. Is, it, there, any, is there anything that could happen, do you think, no, to, that, I don't that would the change book. their mind? No. I, what, I say this in every interview. When Stephanie McMahon's daughter is running the company, <laughs> maybe she will look at that Iron Sheet book, and by then, so many shocking things will have happened in our society that she'll go, yeah, I know these stories were really off color back in the day, but now they seem rather quaint. Right. Let's publish it. Give the who, who's ever still alive from the Iron Sheik era a little, a little thrill. All right, Jeremy, you got another question? Yeah, uh, I was going to follow up the last thing real quick. Uh, we talked about Benoit and you came back around to it. And I thought it was really interesting because uh, to me, Benoit and Guerrero – both of them dying was kind of like that tipping point of whether I was going to stay with being a wrestling fan. Yeah, I get it. I was going to like tap out. So I just, like I thought it was really interesting that that was where you focused on and that was your thing. But on a lighter note, in all of your travels, do you prefer East Coast wrestling indies or the West Coast indies? Now, these days? Yeah, I've had a really good time on the West Coast. There you go. And I'm an East Coast guy, 100%. There you go. There you go. But, um, you know, when I was working on this book, there was a certain passion on the West Coast. I'm not going to say you didn't find it on the East Coast, but there were fans who had been around, you know, for 20 plus years on the West Coast. And they were like pre-internet fans. They were early internet fans. And they're like, we remember when no one even knew these wrestlers were here. And, uh, you know, and there's also that lucha influence from so close by and the Japanese strong style influence. So I like all wrestling, but I, I really, I really had a great time on the West coast when I was researching this book. It's pretty funny. Uh, I was actually at John Cena's first singles match at UPW down in like Wow, which was a great promotion. Uh, where Samoa Joe and all those guys all cut their teeth and Rocky Romero. And uh, that was my first idea of what indie wrestling had the capability of. And you look 20 years later and you see where all those guys are and you just realize what true potential you can mine from that area. And that was such a good promotion. And they had... 
It reminds me a bit of, it was like an early version of the WWE Performance Center because they had multiple rings and they had a great workout facility. And I remember talking with, of all people, Paul Bearer about it because, you know, at that point, there were multiple rings at a wrestling training school and, you know, a state-of-the-art workout facility. You know, so that kind of set the tone for what, you know, the wrestling training centers became, at least in, in, in the United States. All right, I think uh, Nick's got something else that he wants to ask you. Go for it, Nick. Uh, yeah, my question was, um, back in like between 95 to about 2001, uh, while living in Connecticut, we had, we had I'm, like I said before, we're spoiled with, with indies for a long time. But WWE used to send a lot of guys to uh, a Northeast wrestling or a New England wrestling for Tony Rumble or, or Mike Lombardi. Uh, we used to have Lawler on the shows, Goldust, when they weren't, but they were full-time contracts. You think you see WWE ever doing that again? I don't know. Look, I, I can't speak for them. I don't know their corporate mentality. Maybe there'll be a time when they think maybe we need to keep it real and get these guys out there on these little shows. But right now they have NXT. And, you know, so I, I'm not so sure... They want to spread these guys all over the place, but they did have an affiliation with Evolve and they do have an affiliation with, you know, ICW in Scotland and OTT in Ireland. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll probably see WWE guys on at least a WXW in Germany. We'll probably see WWE guys on those shows and, uh, you know, who knows what else. I'm, I'm thinking that because, um, with the pandemic, I think they decided that even the touring house show schedule, even when things get back to normal, that they're going to cut that down. So a lot of these new guys are going to need a lot of work and get the reps in. So Look, let's say, I mean, you know, I'm not privy to any of those conversations. Um, it's great stuff to speculate about. And, you know, we're all fans. But uh, any opinion I give would not be an informed one. It would be me and you mark to mark marking out. <laughs> so uh, all the years you've been a fan of wrestling, all the years that you've covered wrestling, you've written books, you've written stories. Uh, is there, if you were, if you could pick one wrestler and one time frame that you could just continue to watch, you know, you're stuck in the house one day and you're just like, ah, you know, I don't have anything to do. I, I want to watch. I mean, look, I can tell you what, look, Terry Funk is, you know, I just had, I'm actually at a party. I went upstairs into someone's bedroom to do this interview, but I was downstairs and there was a guy here because everything comes back to wrestling who was a jobber at some like promotion in Staten Island 20 years ago. And what do we end up talking about? Terry Funk. So uh, Terry Funk would be the man for the ages because he was a technical great who was worthy enough to be an NWA champion. And he was a crazy, punchy old man who could take untold amounts of abuse and cut, you know, a pr promos that are still better than 95% of the stuff we hear today. So, yeah, I could watch Terry Funk stuff for, like, if I was put in prison and they said, you can only watch one thing, 
I'd say, give me every match Terry Funk ever fought. Give me every promo he's ever been in. And I think I could do time pretty well like that. <laughs> An era, we all romanticized the era when we fell in love with wrestling. Just like we all romanticized the first girl we fell in love with when we were in perhaps junior high school. So, sure, give me being a 61-year-old man. You know, give me Bruno from 65 to 71. Give me Florida Championship Wrestling from 71 to 75. I'll be pretty happy. Uh, David, I think you got one more question, and then we'll, we'll start shutting this thing down. Keith, I was just going to ask about Eddie Kingston. Obviously, his name comes up a few times in the book. There was a story about Samoa Joe wanting to work with him back in like 2007. Right. Here we are 13 years later. I want to work with, yeah. Yeah, here we are 13 years later, and he's probably going to be against Moxley for the AEW title next pay-per-view. Again, yeah. So what do you make of what the, the, the rise of Eddie Kingston over the past you know, you know I, I, it, it's that That's interesting you say that because... I was watching Eddie Kingston on TV this Wednesday night and thinking about those stories in the book about Eddie Kingston. And I actually think Eddie Kingston might be better now than he's ever been. And it's largely because of the way he speaks. And not for a moment do I feel that's a work. Not for a moment do I feel that's scripted. I feel like Eddie Kingston, from what I read, he was on the verge of quitting the wrestling business and finding another job. And it's almost like he's fighting to stay in the wrestling business. And th that's where those promos come from, deep in his diaphragm. And, I, and you know, look, we were just talking about Terry Funk. Let's make that parallel to Terry Funk. You know, people who are outside our world say wrestling's fake. Well, this shit is real. As we shut this down, you've been talking about the book that you're currently working on. How far are you into it? And do you have a date that you expect to release it? No, because the, the pandemic isn't over. You know, if I had started writing the book in July, there wouldn't be anything in there about, um, you know, the Thunderdome. Everything's evolving still. So I don't know how it's all going to end up. Uh, maybe we wait until WrestleMania. Is there going to be a WrestleMania in front of live fans? Yeah, I, don't, I, I really don't know. And also, I don't know what's going to happen in the big wide world. Who's going to win the presidential election? Sure. Um, is another world, is, is Putin going to get the coronavirus? You know, we, we have no idea. So this book can't be finished until there's an end of a story. And right now, I don't know what the end is going to be. So your book, your current book, Too Sweet, is uh, available just about uh, I, anywhere? I'd say, the, I'd say the easiest way to get it would be go to Amazon. You could go to ECW Press's website. I mean, barnesandnoble.com has it. Um, you know, people have told me they've gone into bookstores and bought it. Um, you know, I know as of a few weeks ago, there's the community bookstore in Park Slope, Brooklyn had two copies left. I would hope they'd been sold out by then, <laughs> but, um, you know, there's places you can buy it. 
you can Greg Oliver, the wrestling writer, suggested if you're loyal to a bookstore, order the book to your favorite bookstore just to keep them in business. But uh, it's available wherever books are sold. And I'm not so big a name. If somebody uh, reads it and they want to ask me questions or just comment on it on social media, I appreciate it because I've gotten some constructive criticism that um, has been really useful. It's not negative. It's actually quite positive. And you're on Twitter? I'm on Twitter as Keith E. Greenberg. I'm on Facebook and Instagram as Keith Elliott Greenberg. All right. J- Jeremy, did you have one more thing? I thought I, thought I heard I think Jeremy, Jeremy on me. Yeah, I just wanted to say it was a great listen on audiobook, which I got on Audible. Thank you. And that's, that's a new thing for me, audiobooks, because um, a lot of people of all ages have told me they've listened on audiobook. The next, Bill Apter suggested this, the next book, I'm going to do my own audio. Yeah, you, you, I mean, you have a distinct voice, too. I think that would work that's really true. well. That's true. That's because I'm from Queens. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, Keith, I, I can't thank you enough. This was so much fun. Uh, I hope the people who are on this call uh, had a blast as well. But Too Sweet Inside the Indie Wrestling Revolution, you can find that everywhere. Do you have any final words? No, thank you. I really thank you, Nick, for putting me in touch with you guys. And, uh, you know... Thank you guys for engaging me. This is really satisfying. All right. Thanks a lot to Keith Greenberg and to everyone who jumped on. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for everything.